You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, belated congrats to the Braves, I guess. In the last 20 years, every NL East team has now won at least one World Series, except for, well, the team whose podcast you're listening to right now. At least Travis Darno gets a ring, which is great. He had a terrific postseason in 2015 when he played for the Mets. Not that I'm bitter about 2015. Congrats to Travis. Congrats to Atlanta. Now on to the obvious question. How close are the Mets to getting past a team that's now won four straight division titles, not to mention a fall classic? And who's coming back to try to get this done? All that coming up, part of the next 20-odd minutes of your life. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scootily down. So the Braves won 44 games before the All-Star break, 44 games after the All-Star break, and in the 44th week of the season, they won the World Series in honor of number 44 himself, Hank Aaron. May he rest in peace. Cool story. Tip your trucker hat. Pour a little syrup on your Waffle House waffle. The Braves have won four straight NL East titles. They've got the roster strength. They've got the winning manager to try for a five-peat, which obviously is not a word. Josh Lewin with you from España. You can do podcasts from anywhere and on vacation in Madrid, which would be an entire other podcast if we had the, uh, the sponsorship arm for that. So I'm apologizing in advance. This is coming to you from a hotel room. Might sound a little cheesy, queso-y, if you will. Uh, but back to the subjects at hand. Mets fans are, I think, in the right to despise or loathe Atlanta for capitalizing on the Mets having fallen from first place, the place they were for 100 days. Braves didn't even have a winning record till August. You look back to the Nationals in 2019, they were 41-40 and 40 at the halfway point. Braves this year, 40-41. and 41. Both of them won World Series anyway. It's not how you start, it's, it's how you, you know what. And what's scary for Mets fans, or even Phillies fans, you've got Acuna coming back, you've got Mike Soroka coming back, Ozzie Albies is still fantastic, Freddie Freeman's probably coming back for them, Max Freed, Austin Riley. So it's a big ask for whoever comes in to lead this Mets team, both in the front office and on the field. More on those things in a bit. The latest on the roster, though, the qualifying offers are in Yes to Conforto, yes to Syndergaard. Now it's in their court whether or not they actually want to be a Met. Conforto was the easy call. I think both outcomes were positive for the Mets either way. Uh, Coming up here, he's either going to accept the one-year offer to play right field in New York or he'll sign somewhere else. And if he does the latter, the Mets get a compensatory draft pick and save some money. Syndergaard's thing was more complex because pitchers coming back from things like, oh, uh, serious injuries and surgeries, uh, they tend to command less money. Corey Kluber, two-time Cy Young Award winner, got $11 million on a one-year deal from the Yankees last year. Mets could have negotiated a lower deal with Noah, but I think given the team's need for pitching, Noah's desire to stay, making the QO made sense. So now we play the waiting game. And remember, the Mets already with the highest number of free agents in baseball. Kevin Pillar declined his option. Of course, Pillar, best known for that quick recovery from the Jacob Webb fastball that hit him in the face. Uh, he had a fairly pedestrian season at the plate, hitting 231. 
he's on that list of guys that, if it's right, could always come back. If you go alphabetically, it's Baez, Batances, Conforto, Familia, Hand, Hembry, Hill, Loop, Stroman, Syndergaard, and VR. Stroman, by the way, rated by Keith Law as the number five available free agent out there. Baez, number nine. Syndergaard, 18. Conforto, 21. VR, 40. So, yeah, five of the top 40 free agents hitting the market are or were Mets. Kel Sabrese. Um, starting pitching, the big boy availables are Stroman and uh, Max Scherzer, of course, and Kevin Gossman, although Scherzer doesn't seem like he wants to come east. Anthony DiSclefani, though, Michael Pineda, even Steven Matz or other names that you'll probably hear. Alex Cobb, Alex Wood, Drew Smiley, who was once managed for a summer in the Northwoods League by Terry Collins, by the way. Smiley will get a World Series ring from the Braves, though he had an ERA of 5.2. Hey, Terrence Gore will get a ring, and he got into one game for Atlanta. Terrence Gore, in 102 career games, has one RBI, two doubles, three World Series rings. Amazing. Uh, Dylan Bundy, Brett Anderson, Zach Davies, Daniel Norris, Corey Kluber. Um, there's just so many pitchers out there. Remember when Julio Chiron used to beat the Mets all the time? He's available, but he's coming off a year where his ERA was 5. Matt Harvey's available. His ERA was 6.8. Bullpen sculpting, that'll need some doing. Now, there's a trio of Dodgers out there that I like. Joe Kelly, Jimmy Nelson, Corey Knable. Meantime, you've got Familia, who's always said he'd love to come back. He won't cost nearly as much as those other guys. Um, you could bring back Hansel Robles. You could even bring back Oliver Perez if you wanted to. I like the idea of adding at least one long reliever. I think ever since Corey Lytle emerged like that for the 97 Mets and uh, Pat Mahomes maybe in 99, guys like that are just so important. And we got a little bit of that with Seth Lugo now. But a uh, Yusmero Petit, a uh, Jesse Chavez, They've been really successful like that. Former Met Colin McHugh is a guy like that if he's healthy. Meantime, you got your outfield, you got your third base. I think the Mets will pull up a shopping cart into those aisles at Whole Foods, too. Uh, third base, we talked about it not too long ago in this space. Ever since David Wright's back gave out, it's been a carousel of mediocrity offensively and a sitcom at times defensively. Chris Bryant, big-time target. Or if you can convince Carlos Correa to move from short to third, that guy just as big time, of course. Outfield, you got to like Starling Marte, speed and power guy. If you're making a wish list like I am, I would put Bryant or Correa at third, Marte in the outfield. Another name you'll hear, 27-year-old Japanese league superstar Seiya Suzuki, right-hand hitter who's been compared to Acuna, that same speed and power combo that everybody digs with Marte. And again, with pitching, if indeed Syndergaard's back, if you can get Stroman back, you add an Alex Wood or somebody like that, I'm, I'm cool. Bullpen, you bring back Loop and Familia, add one of those Dodgers guys, a long man like Petit, who is um, kind of comically named. He's 246 pounds, and he's, he's named Petit. But for a utility man, I'm great with a VR reunion, as long as you sneak him a sedative every time there's a chance he can get picked off second base. As for who's actually going to be signing those guys, or not signing those guys, your update on your POBO or GM. POBO is uh, President of Baseball Operations. So, yeah, the Mets are looking for that again. They've probably just settled on, let's just do GM now. That was the case last year when they hired Jared Porter, who was subsequently fired for reasons that we don't need to exhume. But meantime, I'm sure you've heard a lot of these names. The Red Sox Raquel Ferreira became the latest candidate to bow gracefully out of the search. So, whether these targets are declining to pursue the job on their own 
or the teams that they work for now aren't allowing them to interview, you've got a long list here. I mean, you've got about a dozen people that are out there in the public eye, from Billy Bean to Raquel Ferreira to Mike Gersh. And, uh, you know, I, I think the way to break this down, because Met fans tend to get butthurt very quickly here, just take a breath, because a third of these people, their employers gave them a raise to stay put. A third of the people were simply denied permission to even engage. That, that happens. And the other third, they, they said no thank you, from Billy Bean to Raquel Ferreira, as we said. And in this day and age, um, you know, some of those other guys and, and, and girls, if, if you've got a nice job in a small market making good money with a young family, why rock the boat? Look at Jed Hoyer, who was number two in Chicago for a bit behind Theo Epstein. He waited it out. He said no thanks to some things along the way. Eventually moved up to the driver's seat right where he was in Chicago. Turns out some people like to do that. I know it's easy for me to say because I don't live full-time in New York anymore, but this is not the best time ever to just say, you know what makes sense to me is a move to New York, the way things are going in the city right now. You know, Maybe it's as simple as that for some people. We're not in their minds. But uh, Billy Epler, former Angels GM, he is still uh, in contention here for this. A lot of people like him. He didn't have a winning record in Anaheim, I know, but uh, good scouting background was of that realm with the Yankees, so he knows New York and all of that. But look, this job will eventually get filled. Let's all take a breath. Is there anyone tending the front desk at the hotel in the interim? Yes. You got Sandy. You've got Ian Levin. You've got Bryn Alderson. You've got Ben Zosmer, who are currently in lovely Carlsbad, California, home of not only Legoland, but also the annual GM meetings. And you don't have to technically be a GM to attend these meetings. Sandy and his crew will all get name tags. And whoever the new GM is revealed to be, first thing to do once the general manager gets decided on is hire a field manager. And I think Sandy and Steve Cohen would have made an exception and done this process in reverse had Bob Melvin been in serious play. That's the guy that no incoming GM was going to have a problem with. And remember, Bo Mel, as he's called, almost got the job many years ago when Terry Collins did instead. But now it's just kind of a a generalized field, right? If Ron Washington and Walt Weiss are still available once the GM is hired, great. I like those candidates. A Joe McEwing. A second bite of the Beltron apple. Buck Showalter. Lots of good ways you can go, but that should be for the new GM to, if not decide, at least kind of uh, steer. One manager who is not available, would you believe, Soyoshi Shinjo, wearer of the orange wristbands and the number five before David Wright arrived. Shinjo, back in his native Japan, just got named manager of the Nippon Ham Fighters, which, by the way, is the Nippon Ham Company Fighters. Not a team from Nippon that fights wayward hams. Howie used to tell a great story about a broadcast partner who was asked to read a promo for a women's soccer match that was to feature the famous Mia Ham, but the poor fellow had no idea who that was and thought MIA was short for Miami. So the promo was, come see, live and in person, the Miami Ham. Anyway, uh, Shinjo had this great press conference, says he doesn't want to be called manager. He told the media he wants to be called Big Boss. And he did this while wearing an open-collared retro pantsuit outfit that was like half Grand Theft Auto and half salute to 1974. So good luck to the Big Boss and those fighting hams this season. Next, very quickly, let's do uh, from the Japanese League, let's go to the Arizona League, your winter ball update from the Salt River Rafters. And it is Salt River, not Salt Lake. That, too, needs clarification. We're in suburban Phoenix, playing at the spring training home of the Diamondbacks. 
The Mets have eight players stashed on that team, which is battling for first place as of this recording. Among them, you got the outfielder Brett Beatty, who's just about to turn 22 in about a week. At last check, led that Rafters team in hits, had an OPS of close to 800. He has struck out in about a third of his plate appearances, but he's got five extra base hits, got seven RBIs. 2019 first rounder cemented himself right near the top of that prospects list. Hit 12 home runs uh, this past summer. Bunch of doubles, 855 OPS between single A and double A. We're going to hear from him here. Austin, Texas native, one-time ball boy for Baker Mayfield on the gridiron. Yeah, a guy with a big smile, sweet swing, and was kind enough to sit down with me in Phoenix, not Madrid. Did not have the budget for that, but went and saw him in Phoenix just as the AFL season was getting underway. That interview, next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So we're actually taping this right after the Red River shootout. And that's kind of ironic because this is Brett Austin Beatty. That's the middle name. And that is the hometown. Uh, Was that on purpose? Uh, no, that wasn't on purpose. My mom just thought it kind of flowed together well. But uh, I was born and raised in Austin, grew up a Longhorn fan, so I was very invested in that game, and that was a, that was a tough one. For yeah, me. I mean, this is running now, I mean, probably a very long time after you and I are talking, but uh, for those that don't know, that's some serious stuff, that, that rivalry. Yeah, no, that atmosphere is probably one of the best atmospheres in college football, and, hmm. and uh, just being up in Dallas, that was, that was a great game to watch, and I'm, I wish we would have come out on top, but... Well, I like how it's still we because, you know, you, for people that don't know, you were going to go there, right? How close did you come to being a Longhorn? Yeah, I was, I was pretty, I was very close. I signed my uh, national letter of intent and um, I was just came down to the draft and um, they, they, they wanted me on campus and I really wanted to go on campus, but it was just the right situation to be able to sign for the, for the Mets. So uh, I'm, I'm happy how it worked out, so. Yeah, well, Mets fans are too, believe it. Uh, walk me through that, though. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that people would find out they were drafted online or with a phone call. Mm-hmm. Things have changed a little bit now. Walk me through the experience uh, of where you were and, and how what that was like. Yeah, so I actually got to go to the draft. So they invited me up there. I got to go up to Secaucus. Um, and then just hearing my name called in person was just incredible. He, uh, Manfred kind of butchered my name a little bit, but they all do. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was still really fun. It was a great experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, well, had you, had you been to New York and New Jersey before? I had been one time with my family on vacation, but I'd never been to New Jersey where the actual MLB studio was. And they, they, they did the, uh, they did the whole weekend up like they, took us to a Yankees game. We got to be in a suite. Like It was just an incredible experience. They took us on a tour around the Statue of Liberty, so it was, it was really cool. And I would imagine you probably bonded with some of those guys and what's become a pretty good-looking draft right now. I mean, for those that don't remember, I mean, that the, the top few of that draft, I mean, that 
that was almost historic, the way people were talking about Adley Rutschman and Bobby Wood Jr. and Andrew yeah. Vaughn. So to be included with those guys, that must be pretty cool. Yeah, no, that was really cool. Me and uh, me and Bobby kind of grew up playing against each other because he was up in Dallas and I was down in Austin. So we kind of just grew up playing kind of the summer ball circuit. Um, and then just all those other names that you just named are just incredible talents. And I'm, I was happy to be in that draft for sure. So when you get to Secaucus and you're all dressed up, and I forget, what, what kind of suit game did you have going? Uh, I had like a navy blue with like uh, kind of like a plaid tie. Uh, I wanted to, my sister actually thought I should should have gone with this like shiny orange tie, but my mom was like, "What if you get drafted to a different team and that <laughs> doesn't look good, right, or whatever?" Right. But it would have been it would have been really cool if I would have worn that orange tie. Were you? I mean, give me a percentage. Were you like fifty percent sure it was the Mets? Ninety percent sure it was the Mets? Um, actually, I. I did not know at all going into it. My agent, um, he was just texting me throughout the whole process, and he was like, "It could be, it could be eight, it could be twelve, it could be sixteen, it could be thirty. Like we just don't know." Yeah. So, um, luckily, it was twelve, and and it worked out. So, were you monitoring? I mean, were you starting to think, okay, if it is eight, that means I get to wear these colors. If it's sixteen, <laughs> I get to wear these colors. And who do I know over there? I mean, was your mind already yeah. working like that? I mean, kind of, but at the same time, I was just kind of just uh, trying to enjoy the whole experience. Yeah. So, um, but when I did hear my name call, it, it was it was it was really awesome just to have my family and friends there and and be able to celebrate with them. So you mentioned your sister. Tell me about her a little bit. Yeah, my sister, she is uh she's still in grad school right now. Her name's Lauren Beatty. She's like twenty six years old. Um she's a great, great person. She we get along really well. Um we give each other a hard time a lot for sure, but she's into uh, she's into occupational therapy. Oh cool. So um she's really enjoying that. Um she's just great, great, great sister for sure. Had your parents never heard of Warren Beatty? And, and did she get a lot of that growing up? Because that's pretty close. Yeah, um, not really. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they heard about that or not, but um, she didn't really get that much. Didn't get that yeah. much. It's like 80 years ago now, it seems like, anyways. So what about what about your folks? Tell me about them. So my mom and dad are both uh, in the education world. Um, my dad, Clint, he is a high school basketball coach at the high school that I went to. I actually ended up playing for him for a couple of years, which was really cool and really awesome experience. And then my mom... She is like, um, she is like right under the superintendent in the uh, elementary world, and um, she does that at a different school district. So um, they're both right in the thick of uh, the school year, so they're having fun. Lake Travis High School, all those high schools down there. I mean, they they're very good in terms of their athletics, and they, they kick out a lot of famous people and other lines of work. Really competitive, it seems like. Did you enjoy growing up there, and do you have some perspective now looking back? Like, wow, I didn't realize it was that cool. Yeah, so I first grew up in in a little town that was a little bit farther away from Lake Travis, and uh, my dad was really big into into sports, so he kind of just had us move over there to Lake Travis just because he knew it would be a, it would be a good opportunity for me in the athletics world. Um, and so getting over there in like in like middle school age was was really good for me just because. I had this foundation of like knowing where I grew up and then I came over to this really highly sought after athletic world and um, it was just really awesome to be able to compete on a daily basis like that with all those athletes. So um, yeah, I had, I, had a ton of, I had a ton of really good athletes around me and uh, ahead of me too, so it was really yeah. cool. So growing up, were you UT all the way? I mean, burnt orange stuff in your room and all that? 
Yeah, no, I grew up a Longhorn fan. Um, got to go to a few games um, when I was growing up, and whether it be football or baseball games, but uh, or basketball actually. Yeah. But yeah, I did grow up a Longhorn fan for sure. All right, let's walk through it. Uh, baseball wise, Major League Baseball, Rangers, Astros, somebody else. I grew up a Ranger fan. Um, my summer team, we were called the we were called the Rangers, and we had red and blue colors, and that okay. kind of just like stuck. So I was I was originally a Ranger fan. And I'm trying to do the math here. I mean, A-Rod was gone. Palmero was gone. Juan Gonzalez was long gone. Yeah. You were probably growing up, I mean, at least it was Kinsler and Michael Young and guys like that. Yeah, it was Michael Young for a little while, but then it it turned into Beltre. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching Beltre play and Elvis Andrews a little bit too. So uh, I just loved watching them work on the on the left side of the infield. For sure. And all right, let, let's go to basketball. Does it follow form that you're a Mavs guy or Rockets or, or what was that? Yeah, I, I originally was a Spurs fan. And then I kind of just like, I really love watching Luka Doncic play. I know people yeah. are probably going to say that I'm a, I'm a front runner or whatever, but like. <laughs> you were on it early? <laughs> yeah, I really, well, I also enjoyed watching um, Dirk Nowitzki play too. So um, I, I, I enjoy watching the Mavs for sure. What was your basketball game like? Did you have that flamingo fadeaway like Dirk did? Did you work on that? <laughs> no, I was kind of a. I was a bruiser down low. I was I was a four man to start our senior season, and then our five man got hurt. So my dad had me play five, but uh, I like to mix it up down low with the big nice. dogs. All right. So I'm just following form here, but if you're Rangers and you're Mavericks, uh, Cowboys too, then? Yeah, big time Cowboys fan. I grew up a Cowboys fan my whole life. My dad, my dad and his brother really, um, they really like the Cowboys. So I just kind of latched onto that, and uh, it's, a, it's it's an awesome. It's an awesome deal we have. Like we watch it every Thanksgiving together. It's, yeah. it's yeah. I really like the Cowboys. So so far, I mean, not to pigeonhole you, but it's kind of classic Central Texas so far. Does that mean country music, or are you some techno guy just to surprise <laughs> me? <laughs> no, I do. I do enjoy country music, whether it be like Morgan Wallen or Kenny Chesney or something like that. But I I've expanded my music horizons um, when I got out of when I got out of Texas a little bit. But uh, I do enjoy the old country music for sure. Nice. Okay, so I got to ask you about a little bit of baseball, the the Futures game this past summer. What was that like? Yeah, man, that was an incredible experience just to be able to go out there. Uh, I got to go out there with Alvarez, which was really cool. Um, just being out there with all those all those special talents um, on my team and the other team, and then just playing in that big league ballpark, um, just having all those fans there. It was just it was really incredible experience, and uh, I'm glad I got to experience it. You got to experience, too, so many different geographical stops in the minors already. I mean, Kingsport and Brooklyn are so different. I can't imagine two parts of the country being more different, right? And you got to see them both. Yeah, those those two are definitely not alike and not similar in any way. But um, I'm glad I got to go to both of those places just to um, give me insight on, on what pro baseball is like in the minor leagues. So um, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything, for sure. What what was your biggest takeaway from Brooklyn? I mean, there are no Cracker Barrels in in Brooklyn, and right. I mean, this is a whole new world, eh? Yeah, for me, it was just the busyness of the city and just the traffic and stuff. Um, like we we were staying in downtown Brooklyn, and we had to stay in a hotel because apartments are pretty expensive up there, and um, just the sure um, route to the field was just an everyday ordeal because yeah. we didn't know whether we were going this way or this way or if the traffic was going to be 30 minutes long if it was going to be an hour long like right. we just didn't know so 
um but it was it was it was really cool flirting in the city we we all really enjoyed it and uh yeah it was awesome how often did you get a chance to get out of the the actual borough of brooklyn or did you i mean would you go and explore on an off day did you get to city field a lot or what was that like yeah we had um we had a good little group up there and um on mondays our off days we would we would go out and uh and do stuff for sure we went we went downtown manhattan a lot um we never really got out to Queens or the Bronx, but um, sometimes we went down to Coney Island just to see the other stuff on Coney Island, not just the ballpark. Right. Um, but yeah, Manhattan was really cool, and just exploring the city was was really cool. So just turning it back to the Arizona Fall League real quick before I let you go, uh, what are you working on? What, what do you want to come out of here with? Yeah, man, I just want to I just want to keep working on um, just hitting just. Um, just really fine tuning my swing a little bit. Um, I had a I had a tendency to to get a little bit drifty um, in the season this year, and I'm just really trying to trying to fine tune that and, and clean that up a little bit. But um, just hitting the ball hard, um, just staying within myself. Um, I'm really just trying to trying to get better on that side, but also on the defensive side, um, just trying to get a little bit quicker. I'm trying to learn from all these great talents out here, so um, I'm really looking forward to the season coming up. And whether that's at Syracuse, at Binghamton, if you end up in New York, I mean, are, are you putting timetables on yourself to set goals like that? Uh, no, not really. Because um, at the end of the day, it's not really my decision. So I'm just going to go out there and have fun and play baseball and, and, and play my game. So, um, yeah. Who's got the game right now, would you say, that most closely resembles yours? Who's a good comp? If, like, if you were 26 yeah. right now, right? Who, who's that guy that's, that's baby? Yeah, I mean, that's always, that's always really hard. That's always a really tough question. But um, I was watching the uh, Dodgers-Giants game last night, and I was, just, I was watching Chris Bryant, just like mm-hmm. the way he moves. And I, I, no, I'm not going to say I'm close to Chris Bryant. No, no, Bryant I'm not trying to make any, you say any, that. Yeah. In any way, but like, I just kind of see some similarities in, in movement out there. Like He plays third base. He plays outfield. Um, he swings, he swings a really good stick. So, um, I would say there's just some similarities in the movements out there, oh, but yeah. I, I just, uh, that's a tough question. Yeah. I didn't mean to even close with that. I'll just, I'll just say hook them horns <laughs> and, and good luck with all of that. But, uh, seriously, thanks for your time and everybody's knowing that you're going to kill it this year. And uh, I hope everything goes well in the fall league. Yeah. I really appreciate you having me. All right. There you have it. Wonderful to catch up with Brett Beatty. I think everybody's going to like this guy a lot. And next week we'll meet another of the Young Mets prospects, a guy that can actually say that he shares a November 13th birthday with Brett Beatty, although this guy is turning 25, not 22. That is the six foot three right hand pitcher, Brian Matoyer. And if you like spin rate, this is your guy. 40th round pick, and he's not going to blow you away with his fastball. But if you like a good Seth Lugo ish curveball, You're going to like this guy a lot. He'll be up for you next week. And by then, who knows? Maybe there will be a Mets general manager as well. Unless Sandy just takes everybody to Legoland and and blows off the general manager meetings, which I, I highly doubt. Although, Legoland is cool. Until then, off we go with special thanks to the Mets in the Morning House Band. On keyboards, Jeff Reardon. Slapping to bass, Stanley Jefferson. The horn section, Josias Manzanillo. Well, maybe just one horn there. And on drums, it's Eric Goodell. Good day. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll have, as promised, another Mets in the Morning for you a week from now. Take care. Bye-bye.